Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. So get comfortable for a minute. Thank you for leading us, Alan. And uh, it's good to see everybody's faces so I can see. Welcome if you're joining us on YouTube. If you uh, had an opportunity to print out the learning sheet that I sent, then you're welcome to pull it up right now. I'll share with you again that the source within the course of this coming week's Parsha, Parsha Chof team, can be found in the Eitz Chaim Kumash on page 1092. If you're looking in any Hebrew Bible, we're in Deuteronomy and Devarim, the 17th chapter. And we're going to be looking at verse 18, particularly. And we only have a few minutes to study this together, really. We're just going to look at it for a few minutes. I want us to come to an understanding about what it means to have a copy of the Torah for a king. This doesn't seem so absurd, and I'll just start from the place of saying that we know, even to this day, that it actually is a sign of grandeur for some people, particularly people of means and wealth in certain communities, particularly for people of power in certain communities, to have a copy of a Torah, right? You all know somebody in our community or someone in a community that you've lived in who's had a copy of a Torah scroll, right? And I think that that's actually an analog to what we're talking about here because this isn't a time in which someone could have just printed an Eitz Chaim Chumash. That would have been quite the scribal undertaking to actually have a copy of a, a Torah scroll. So I think that the analog exists and we can imagine what it means for somebody to have a copy of the Torah. The question, though, and the question for certain for the two commentators who we're going to look at really three, because Rashi's drawing on a rabbinic conversation in Talmud and Sanhedrin, which I brought on the page here, um, and then this other um, commentary by the Kitab Sofer. Uh, their conversation is why. Because the Torah thinks it's very important, meaning the Torah text itself thinks it's very important that if we should have a king appointed over us, that the king has a copy of the Torah. So in order to know why, we have to know what it means what it means that a king has a copy of a Torah scroll. And there's a debate as to what it means. And actually the debate is between Rashi or Rashi as he brings the Sanhedrin and Ankelos. And Ankelos as a, as a translator into the Aramaic kind of takes the basic, clear, plain, um, shot meaning. And Rashi takes a different take. So let's look at the verse first. Vahaya, Cheshivto, Alkise, Mamlachto, when he's seated on his royal throne, plain meaning, let's not go too literal, plain, not literal meaning, they should write for, it should be written for him, they should write for him the, a, a, a copy, a Mishnah Torah, probably a familiar phrase, title of a bunch of books, al hasefer, it should be done before him um, uh by the this class of the priests. Okay, so what does Rashi say here? Et Mishneha Torah, a Mishnah Torah. That is to say, Rashi immediately goes to, oh, they're talking about two scrolls of the Torah. Okay? They're talking about he should have two copies of it. Hang on. Skip to the end of the commentary, right? 
Skip to the end where it says onkelos, however, because you probably would have thought this at first. You probably would have thought along the lines of what onkelos said. Onkelos says the following. When onkelos translates this to Aramaic, we get, however, he renders mishneh by potshegen. Where do we know the word potshegen from? I bet you know this word. I bet Marshall Kramer knows this word. Where is that from? You can even unmute and tell us. Okay, well, it's from the uh, from the uh, from the Megillah itself. Great. And what does it mean in the Megillah? Do you remember? That I don't, I don't remember. No. So it's actually the source in the Megillah of our doing that weird thing you see on Purim where we fold the scroll. Funny. Uh-huh. You know, you know, uh, up on the the bima, you might have noticed that folks who read from the from the Megillah scroll do this funky folding situation because of this idea that it was this potsheg and it was kind of this pamphlet that was sent out to the people. And in a meta sense, we're representing that this potshegim was sent out, this letter, this uh, edict kind of was sent out, right? Like this copy was written. But you're 100% right. That's exactly where we know this word from, this potshegim. And so Anglo says... He, he was supposed to have a copy of Pachegan, exactly. So he interpreted the word Mishnah in the sense of basically a repetition and an uttering. Right? So a Mishnah Torah, he's supposed to have a copy, a repetition of the Torah with him. Back up though. Rashi thinks it's something different. He's supposed to have two scrolls with him. And I brought you the Sanhedrin, but we're not going to go deeply into it. I just wanted you to see the original, the OG Sanhedrin. It's right beneath it, too, in case you want to go into it. But look at Rashi's summary of it. Two scrolls of the law, one that's placed in his Beit Genazav, in his, sounds like a Geniza, right? Because that's what it means. Same thing. It's placed in his treasury. And the other that goes out and comes in with him, okay? In this nice summary, it says, you know, like a travel-sized one. Does that make sense, right? I mean, it kind of does. I like it. I like that read of it, too. And I think they read it for two reasons. I get I get that the Sanhedrin, I get the Sanhedrin read of it for two reasons. I think they read it literally because Mishneh means a, a duplication, right? So not just a teaching, but it could mean a duplication. And also, I think the haya cheshivto. And it should be that when he's seated on his throne, he should have a copy, which should mean when he's not seated on his throne, he should also have a copy. I would think. That's very rabbinic, right? I, I think that's what they're saying in this argumentation. Okay. So I want to look at this Hungarian commentary, which really moves me. It's the last source that I brought on the page. It comes from my teacher, Rabbi Daniel Goldfarb, who, whom I love and miss and who was one of my first teachers at the conservative yeshiva um, when he was teaching there uh, in 2007 when I first studied there, which now feels like, I guess this is my bat mitzvah year away from there. It was a, an amazing experience learning from him. And he has this little vort where he, he brings... He teaches all of that background on uh, on this particular piece of Torah. And then he teaches the Ketav Sofer. So he says, Benjamin Shriver, who is the Ketav Sofer, was the Ketav Sofer. He's a 19th century, mid-19th century Hungarian commentator. 
He says every king or leader rabbi should have two Sifrei Torah. Okay, he agrees with this Sanhedrin Rashi take on it. And he says he should have one that's for home for himself, in which he should observe every mitzvah with very strict precision. So when he's sitting on his throne, he should observe it, bishirut, and also very midactic, very carefully. And the other one he should take with him when he goes out on the road to the people, with which he should be lifnim mishurat hadin. He should show more latitude and he should teach them more according to the spirit of the law. Why should the king have one? Why should what? The king. <laughs> Why should the king have uh, uh, two sacred Torahs? Why? I mean, is he a secular king or a religious king? No, this is the king. This is the king of the Israelites they've appointed. They have appointed oh, a king. Oh, okay. okay. They've appointed a king, and now they've appointed a king, and the king should have these two Sifrei Torah with him. Oh. And he should have a safer Torah with him on his throne. And he should have a safer Torah when he goes to the people. And when he goes out to the people, this is the Torah for himself and this is the Torah for, for, um, and this is the Torah for the people. And so what the way that he's reading it is to say, it's not about him literally having two separate safe, Sifre Torah written. He's saying, when you go to read the rule book and you're the king and you're the one with power, and you're the one with influence. And you're the one who gets to have the final say. You're the one who has to treat this Torah with the ultimate care. And you got to be strict with yourself. But when you go out there and you bring the Torah to the people, you should know that they're out there and they're living beyond the throne room. And that in the context of the Torah, where, we're, where, um, where we are in the Torah right now, in the context of all of the rules that the king is being given about how he should care for the people, who you should choose, what kind of character he ought to have, what he should go out there and rule as, the Kitab Sofer says, listen, he should go and he should approach the people and he should approach them with latitude and with stretchiness and understand that he should give some give when it comes to offering Torah out to the people. With himself, he should be careful. All right, I'm going to give Gary a word before I close this because he looks very excited. Gary. Very excited. Um, a quick question. It says a copy of the Torah. So this is the kosher Torah? Because a copy, could, a copy could have been, it doesn't have to be, you know, if it has one error, you can't be a, it can't be a kosher Torah. I just didn't know. If, clearly the, the words were there. But was it halakhically to, to every, the scribe would do everything perfect or didn't well, make that much, that crucial? Right. So I think that Uncleos thinks maybe. And I think that Rashi thinks definitely. And I think the Kitab Sofer, in answer to your question, and I think the Kitab Sofer says, we're not talking about scrolls. Okay? Mm-hmm. You hear what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like Rashi and Uncleos, Remember, Rashi's 11th century. Uncleos, I didn't write it down. Anybody know off the top of your head? A lot longer ago. Uh, but I, I'm not fast enough on my feet. But, but, um, I, 
the Kshav Sofer in the 19th century, he says, we're not talking about scrolls, right? We're talking about when you look at the Torah and you give Torah, not a Torah, but give Torah, when you're dealing the Torah to the people, right? He says, that's what it means. You should have a, a copy of the, of the Torah, right? Two Torahs. He says, this is a drush. You should understand that you should be kinder and with, with give more latitude when it comes to reading the Torah out to the people. But with yourself, it's a strict, strict interpretation of Deuteronomy 17, 18. Does it actually say two scrolls? Does that term et mishneh mean two scrolls in, in Hebrew or is it one scroll? See, I think that last one you read from the 19th century makes more sense. Except because it really only doesn't really say two scrolls. It just says one scroll. It's two yeah. uses. I yeah. think at Mishneh HaTorah, a, I think it, I think it literally means a copy of the Torah. He should have a copy of it. He should have a, right. it might even mean, it might, it might and even likely meant, I don't know, I can't say for sure, a, a, um, reciter, like to accompany him from among the priests who could recite the Torah constantly. Because the oral tradition was so strong in that time, that's, yes. that that could have been the case. I don't know. I I'm not a scholar to know for certain what the what the true and likely shot would have been. Well, the 19th century guy makes more sense. Sure. Yeah. I like what he has to say, and I think that I think it's a great teaching for us in our okay. time, which is to say that if there is a rule book that we are living by, and we are in a position of power, and maybe I'll leave you with this so that we can dive in a little Mari before we close. If there is a rule book by which we are trying to live, whether it is a Torah or whether it's some sort of a personal handbook and we're in the position to be that powerful person and there is someone else who is the person we're in the position to supervise, for example, right? That when we're the person in the position of power to, to wield that book, right, we are closest to that source, that there is tremendous wisdom in asking ourselves to hold ourselves more strictly to those rules and to give the people over whom we have oversight even more latitude, that we hold ourselves to high standards uh, to be exemplars, um, to, to hold ourselves, um, close to that source. And that as we have power to wield that book and all the rules and the consequences within it, that we offer latitude out to the people over whom we might execute some power. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.